consuming your news today, it is largely rooted in social media. That's a reason why it's crucial to look at what's being discussed online. For our daily social media, I'm going to by Erica in the studio. Good morning. Good morning. It's a brand new week. And uh, it's raining outside. Yeah. It's been raining since yesterday. It was. Um, I washed my car on Friday. It's most unfortunate. Always happens. Right? Yep. What, what is that? Murphy's Law? <laughs> yes. Anyway, who cares? Be prepared. It's going to be really warm this afternoon, yep, too. Yep. Peculiar. <laughs> well, we are approaching spring season after all. Winter was short-lived, wasn't it? Was it? It was kind of confusing. Yeah, because it got super warm at one point. Yes. And then, yeah, you're and, right. And then it got really cold abruptly. Yep. Okay, very excited for what's to come this year. <laughs> okay, Erica, let's jump into our first buzzword this morning. Uh, universities are reevaluating welcome kids for freshmen. Uh, yep. um, should it be adjusted to welcome students back to campus live post-pandemic? Yeah, so, um, yeah, so that question we're going to address uh you know, after COVID, uh, universities started handing out these welcome kits to students to ma- make them feel welcome because everything was taking place online. Students weren't actually attending school physically. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, now that COVID is over, uh, universities are sort of like, you know, wondering, hmm, should we continue this new tradition or should we discontinue it? <laughs> now that, you know, everything has sort of returned yeah. to normalcy. That's now, right. Okay. Okay, so as you've said, these kits were introduced as classes went online mm. uh, to maybe bring students together, boost students' sense of belonging, school spirit. It's yeah. incredibly difficult to do that when That's you're right. conducting classes entirely online. That's right, at home. Um, now, uh, welcome kits. These welcome kits, let's talk about these first. They, okay. They're generally designed to uh, reflect uh, the college's history, their story, their uniqueness. Um, so... To give you some examples, okay. Yonsei University in Seoul uh, gifted new students with the Star, Wind, and Stars, which is a collection of poems by Yun Dongju, a renowned Korean poet and uh, alumnus of Yonsei University. Uh, Korea University's welcome kit included a copy of the declaration from the April 18th uh, student uprising, which mm-hmm. sparked the April Revolution, mm-hmm. April 19th Revolution of 1960. Um, some schools highlight their symbols and mascots in their kits. So, uh, for example, Chungang University included stickers of Puang, uh, a character <laughs> based on the Blue Dragon. Mm. Kyunghee University gave out keychains mm. of their uh, lion character Kumi, mm-hmm. and Dongguk University sent out plush toys of its elephant elephant mascot, Akko. Now, practicality also plays a role in the popularity of some of these kits as well. Uh, Songgyungwon University offered students a stationary set. Ah. Yeah, with illustrations of ginkgo leaves and Joseon scholars. Uh, Sungmyung Women's University included a tumbler ah. with their snowflake mascot. Tumblers are always popular, Wait, right? hang on. A snowflake mascot? Yeah. How- I'm thinking because we were just talking about spring. How does that work? 
in the dead of summer? I don't know. <laughs> it works for you. It's fine, but just yeah. really cute. Okay. And Postec even gave out gift vouchers for VR devices. Okay, Quite that, fancy there. That's really cool. Yeah. That's it's really a techie cool. school. So okay. now the craze for university merch uh, has led to a culture among university freshmen, you know, of unboxing these welcome kits and sharing the experience on social media. However, uh, like we said, some universities have decided to scrap these welcome kits altogether. Uh, Chungang University stopped distributing uh, its welcome kits last year. Korea University started following suit this year. Okay, so the big question is, uh, why yeah. discontinue something that seems very popular among students? Yeah, so one major kind of obvious reason for the discontinuation of these kids is the cost. It costs yeah. money to create and distribute. It costs a lot of money, actually. How much? So each kit costs around 30,000 to 50,000 won to produce and send out to the students. And this is why some universities are debating whether to continue them, mm. uh, especially amidst a freeze in mm. tuition, you know. Some colleges are actually contemplating their future. I mean, we just talked about it in our headlines, too. Yeah. How, you know, universities are allowed to hike up mm-hmm. uh, tuitions for undergraduates. And it's it's not just to be mean. It's not to make higher right. you know, education more expensive. Mm. Um, it's about changing demographics, too. That's right. So a budget of several hundred mm. million won required for the production of these kids. It becomes a major challenge for some schools. Uh, however, at the other <laughs> opposite end of the step spectrum, there's a strong argument for keeping these welcome kits to uh, prevent students from dropping out ah. or even taking time off uh, from school to retake their university entrance exams to explore other options, other schools. Mm. Now, according to University Alimi, uh, which is a website that provides detailed information about universities based on data published by the education ministry, the dropout rate amongst major Seoul universities increased from 8.1% in 2020 to 9.5% in 2022. And get this, with the expansion of medical uh, school quotas, the dropout rate is probably going to go up even more. That's right. Mm. Now, universities say these welcome kids significantly contribute to fostering uh, camaraderie among students, Mm -hmm. enhancing their sense of belonging to the school. So, you know, basically the higher the pride Mm -hmm. and sense of belonging students have, uh, the less chances of them, like, you know, leaving school anytime soon. And these kids have become a way for students to familiarize themselves with uh, the school culture, history, and symbols. And I don't know, at that age, I think a sense of belonging was so important. At this age, too. But then even more, and maybe it does a lot more than just, you know, welcome you in with Mm -hmm. a warm hug. It it makes you feel like you're part of a a bigger movement, a bigger educational Mm -hmm. institution, and things like that. One of our students says, with tuition getting higher, welcome kids should be mandatory. (laughs) (laughs) What are we paying for? Someone needs to crunch numbers and see that this makes sense, though, yep, right? Yep. That's so not romantic. But mm. yes, yes, that's a good place to start. Let's move on to our second buzzword this morning. Paul McCartney's stolen <laughs> bass guitar has resurfaced after 
a half a century. Yes, thanks to the help of devoted Beatles fans. So uh, it's been, for the longest time, the biggest mystery. Yep. Where is this famous guitar belonging to one of the most famous musicians of all time? No one seemed to know what had happened to this guitar. It turned out the bass guitar was a sort of passing time in a more <laughs> unassuming location, not too far away. In the loft of a family home in East Sussex in England, uh, the guitar uh, has been authenticated by the manufacturer and has been returned to Paul McCartney, oh. according to an official statement last week. And it mentioned the statement mentioned that the legend is incredibly grateful to everyone involved in you know helping him find his. Uh, treasured long bass guitar yeah bass guitar <laughs> only if the bass guitar can tell stories if it had a camera yeah. on it something like that <laughs> but just in case our listeners are not all Beatles fans mm-hmm. you should be but if you're not <laughs> uh, let's talk about the guitar itself what do we know so the Hofner 501 guitar it's a, it's a really precious part of the Beatles lore uh, it can be heard on the recordings of hit songs including Love Me Do mm-hmm. She Loves You and Twist and Shout uh, so h- how he got his hands on the guitar in the first place, after he became the band's bassist, he desperately needed a bass guitar. He bought the instrument in a music store in Hamburg, Germany, back in 1961. Mm. Uh, at the time, it cost Paul McCartney the equivalent of 30 pounds, which was at the time cheap enough for him to afford. I'm willing to bet a lot of money. It costs a lot more than that right oh, now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before his disappearance, when was a guitar last seen? So one of the last sightings of the bass was in London in 1969. There's a footage of the band writing their album, Let It Be. And sometime after that, it sort of disappeared from the public eye. Uh, Efforts to locate the bass had sort of like stalled until last September Mm. when two journalists and a Hofner expert revived the search and appealed once again to the public and the fans for some valuable tips. And since the 60s, we've come a long way as far as information and tipping goes, (laughs) if you think about it, right? I mean, we're much more connected. Yes. Did the tips point in the right direction? Yes. In fact, there were two key tips. Uh, A sound engineer who had worked with Paul McCartney remembered that the guitar had been left in the back of a van in 1972 and that thieves had broken in. Uh, The second tip suggested that the guitar had been stolen in the neighborhood and then sold for, you know, a little money and some free beer uh, to a man named Ronald Guest, who was the landlord of a local pub. Now, in late September of last year, the landlord's family, living in the town of Hastings in southeast England, reached out to Paul McCartney's studio asking... Could the guitar in our loft be the missing bass? (gasps) Yeah, it's been there all along. Can you imagine opening up that email? Or I'm assuming it's an email or a phone Uh call. That's... I, I don't know. Just gives you chills, right? A little bit. And <laughs> and honestly, it's a little underwhelming, the story. <laughs> I know. It was sitting in the law. I thought it would have traveled the world. Yeah. You know? <laughs> the things they must have seen. <laughs> yeah. All right. So it was a kind of right there. That's right. Collecting dust all this time. 
Yeah, so after the guitar was found in late September of last year, it traveled to Germany, um, you know, to be authenticated. And yes, indeed, it was the missing guitar. Uh, it did sustain some damage, including a cracked neck, which needs to be repaired, and mm. it can be repaired. So good news. Beatles fans everywhere can probably see the space again. They're probably hoping Paul McCartney will play it yeah. for everyone to hear once again. I just I just want to hear him play. Yeah. It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> On to our final story yeah. this morning. Did it ever go away? Um, geek chic. Apparently the rise of the nerd inspired fashion is back in the year 2024. Yeah. So if Y2K and old money looks were all the rage before, 2024 is apparently all about minimalism and geek chic. Uh, the word is self-explanatory. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. basically a look that's both <laughs> uh, quirky, nerdy, and sophisticated all at the same time. <laughs> and the look is making its mark across the fashion industry. Like big celebrities like G-Dragon and mm. Chang Wonyoung mm. from Ive and Suji have mm. been spotted uh, rocking the geek chic, chic look. Uh, both high-end and fast fashion brands are showcasing styles that center around this trend. It's it been does, seen a lot. Yeah, and it does trickle down really fast, doesn't it? Now, as we alluded to, it's nothing new, I no. suppose. Mm. I mean, if you want to get really technical, it did first appear at Gucci's Milan show in 2015, yeah. where the brand paired, uh, well, extravagant outfits, <laughs> but oversized spectacles, mm-hmm. socks and ties in bold colors, socks with sandals. <laughs> That's right. Things like that. When I think of geek shoes, I think of uh, the movie The Devil Wears Prada. Remember Giselle Bunchen wearing those glasses? Oh. Yeah, in the office. She's with the, the character yeah. played by Emily Blunt. What's her name? I forget. I, I've seen the movie Emily so many Blunt's times. Emily Blunt's character yeah. is Emily. Yeah, that you're right. That's why. <laughs> That's it, why I'm so confused. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, you're right because it, it it's almost as if you look already really pristine and uh, made up. Yeah, and then you put on glasses. That's right. <laughs> so, anyways, items typically associated with, uh, you know, this look include, you know, preppy style polo shirts, mm. uh, you know, low-rise pants, apparently, mini skirts, horn-rimmed glasses. Wait, hang on, low-rise pants? Yeah. We're going back there. We're going I'm back there. You, nobody looks good in low-rise pants, but go <laughs> right. on. Okay. Uh, local fashion brands are jumping on the geek chic bandwagon. <laughs> uh, a lot of Ensembles are inspired by campus life, so things sweaters, Oxford shirts, varsity jackets, and jogger pants. Um, you know, they're offering a whole bunch of unisex options like, you know, classic three-button wool blazers, uh, boyfriend denim shirts to cater to a wider audience. A whole bunch of celebrities like Bella Hadid, Taeyeon, and Chang Wonyoung have been seen wearing this look pulling it off. I don't know. Geek Chic sounds comfortable because I think oversized yeah. jackets, thick sweaters, Oxford shirts, yes, lots jackets. of sweaters. Yes. Yeah. I've kept it all these years. Good. Would that work? Yeah. <laughs> Time to pull the Mac out. <laughs> Thanks, Erica. I'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.